dream is a wish your heart makes. You're listening to Honey, We Made a Disney Podcast. Two friends since trading lunchbox snacks with serious negotiations. Now guides on your nostalgic tour of Disney history, one magical film at a time. I'm J.B. Wagner. And I'm Eddie Ferguson. And on today's episode, we realize that housework is exhausting no matter what, even with magical brooms, as we review Fantasia. So fasten that safety restraint and pull up on the yellow strap because it's time to open the vault. Cue that Disney sound effect. Well, 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 Eddie, we are back to Fantasia already. Feels like we just did Fantasia 2000 not that long ago. It feels like it was yesterday when I when I watched it. Um, but here we are doing the original. I don't know how often we're going to do them out of order. <laughs> these movies out of order, but here we are. But nonetheless, it, it definitely confused my kids quite a lot because they kept going, you know, when does... When does Donald Duck come on? Oh, um, yeah. When does the 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 volcano fairy come on? You know, and I was like, no, no, those are all because uh, come to like we've actually watched Fantasia Steve two thousand. I'm waiting a, a for Steve Martin of more times. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Let Let's start there. Uh, I would say that the presenters in the original are far more entertaining uh, uh, than the than the presenter in this one. I think they were going for a little more like of a serious uh, presenter. You know, they got a, a, a somewhat well-known presenter, yeah, uh, conductor, Taylor. sorry, Deems, conductor at the time. Well, Deems uh-huh. Taylor is the, he's an American music critic uh, and he is the one doing all of the talking and kind of explain. It's more just like explaining. It's like, this is how music works. Uh, sometimes I was yeah. kind of thank thankful for it, and other times I was like, "Thanks, man, didn't really need that." And then it would awkwardly cut him off mid not mid sentence, but yeah. like after a thought, and it's like, "I think there was more here. He didn't really land the plane, uh, but it is what it is." Yeah, I would say um, for me, that's probably some of the weakest parts of this film uh, that just kind of really slows it down. And distracts from, I think, what they were wanting it to be, which is, you know, these beautiful classical pieces of music set to uh, animation. But uh, you have these kind of long explanations. Sometimes well, and they cut like, it. Yeah. And they cut it out initially. Like there was a season where a lot of those weren't even in it or severely pared down. But it wasn't until 1990 that they like started kind of resurrecting them and then in the 2000s they brought it brought it back more Uh, but there was a time where right after they released it they were like we got to cut this down because we're not seeing uh, the results that we wanted to because it it is a two-hour long piece of mostly music yeah speaking of music this uh I, i think that's 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 what stands out for this movie right like this movie is all about the music and Disney was uh, a little daring. He uh, didn't rest on his laurels from inventing new things with Steamboat Willie or being the first one out with a feature length animation with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Here, 
he pioneers sound once again. JB, you just kind of want to unpack that for us a little bit? Like, why is this so significant of a film when it comes to sound? Yeah, so he was looking at wanting to have an immersive experience, wanted to have a surround, like you could feel like you're in the middle of the orchestra. And so at the time, there were some attempts at a surround sound system, uh, but they created their own unique system here called Fantasound, which because it's Fantasia, uh, and it ended up dun, dun. and it ended up getting them actually a, a Academy Award, a special award for doing that. Both fa- um, the movie for Fantasound and Sokowski's visual is gave him a special award for just making a visual music experience because there was nothing else like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is really even though. Surround Sound had kind of began early uh, around that time. This is where it was the first like commercial film for sure using stereo, which is crazy to think that everything we had been getting had been one direction for just straight out of the speakers mm-hmm. for a really long time. Even just getting two directions was like a huge step up uh, from what they had. But then they also had a limited experience of doing the Fantasound, which was uh, 300 or like or all around you, which is what we're used to experiencing when we go to the theater. And some people even have it for their homes. But um, it's just crazy to me that he's like three feature films in and not like three movies. Like people barely get through a trilogy of one story of one person's arc in, right. <laughs> in three movies. And he's like progressively changed the the whole industry repeatedly in this amount of time which is just kind of crazy that 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 can happen that quickly but he was just always pushing for how do we make this crazy different experience for people and i think probably driving some of the reasons why they did this with the way that they did was because he was always kind of being referred to as the animator guy and oh you're making those silly films silly songs the silly uh, cartoons uh, over and over again. He's like, I want to mm-hmm. do something that has some level of high art to it to kind of like get my name up in there with some of the other greats. Because uh, even though he was killing it in the world, in his own world, he wanted that desire to just like do something high art, high. Um, I, I mean, it, it, it harkens back even to as I'm remembering thinking back to the Barnum and Bailey movie that came out several yeah. years ago where the greatest the, showman, the greatest showman, where it's the same idea of just like making tons of money, entertaining so many people, but you've got this snobbery other class of people that are like, well, this isn't true art. This isn't the real, the yeah. real deal. And so I, it's interesting to see him combine those roles and even uh, someone as renowned as Tukoski, who was the director of the uh, Philadelphia Philharmonic for 25 years, even he um, saw the ability for to to take what he was doing and really bring it to the masses. Yeah, we talk often or I mean, you hear people reference, you know, just kind of the genius of Walt Disney. He's definitely after all of these years, just kind of risen into almost like mythological status. You know, he's just he's no longer a man. He's kind of a legend, you know, and we forget like what were the individual little things that he did yep. to kind of get to that point, to reach that. And I 
This is another one of those examples. You know, this is just one of the many things that you can put down on the list of why he kind of earns a bit of that status or, you know, maybe not full on mythological status. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he, he earned everything that he got. He, he worked really hard at it. The interesting thing about the, the technology there with the stereo sound is most theaters at the time were not prepared to yeah. be able to do this. So Disney even bought all of the sound equipment and took uh, Fantasia on its original release was actually kind of like a the- uh, theatrical road show held in 13 different U.S. cities starting in November 13th of 1940. And they would move in. They would it would take them a week to set up the sound system wow. working nonstop a week to set up all the sound this system like and then it would make its run. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it really, really is. Um, and I mean, some of the, so just to kind of give you uh, an understanding of the, the times, the proceeds made on the, the very first night that it, it opened, which was on a theater on Broadway it all of the proceeds from that very first night actually went to the British War Relief Society hmm. and efforts to help with the Battle of Britain. Interesting. So think back to um, the uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, the opening yeah. sequence with the Battle of Britain and then all of those things. There, you know, the U.S. not involved in the war yet is raising all these funds to kind of help in the Battle of Britain. Uh, Fantasia did its part and help raising funds for all of that. Um, but Fantasia ran on Broadway for 49 consecutive weeks. Wow. 49 consecutive weeks. The longest run achieved by a film at that time. And its run continued for a total of 57 weeks until February 28th, 1942. And then the remaining 12 road shows were held throughout 1941 which included a 39-week run at the Carthay Circle Theater in Los Angeles on January 29th. And Fantasia broke the long-running record at that venue as well in a 28-week run. Uh, The previous record for the Carthay Circle Theater was Gone with the Wind. Wow. All of that, and it still couldn't make a profit. Isn't that crazy? It could so it did not make a profit. Are you ready? Until December 17th, 1969. What? That's that's so that's so crazy. Just from all of the technological stuff they had to do to like put it out on the road. Yes. That's insane. Yes. So I mean, it was so much upfront cost. And then in the the initial release, I mean, Disney had a, several things kind of going against it, right? Uh, you have the the war is going on. Um, you know, it receives a mixed critical reaction. Uh, the war's going on, so y- you have a whole European market that it can't go to, which the previous films had done really well on the European markets, um, but it, it failed to be able to to do that. Plus, audiences in the U.S struggled to go to it because it felt too highbrow. You know, too many people stayed away and they were just like, hey, no, we we want the silly Disney cartoons. Like, why are you giving us this, yeah. you know, hoity-toity yeah. stuff here? 
Um, and so it really struggled to take off there in its initial release. Um, and I would say it was kind of, you know, a combination of all of those different reasons. Um, but yeah, 1969, it finally pulled a profit after they just kind of, as we discussed, discussed with Snow White, you know, they would release these films over and over again. It may, uh, and then the same with Fantasia. It makes sense that it would make money in the 60s because some of the research that I was looking at said it became very popular in the 60s as people started doing more recreational drugs, that that was one of the movies that people yeah. enjoyed rewatching um, while on while on those said recreational drugs because of like just the crazy trippy nature of a lot of the visuals in it. And they're like, great, they can get a great trip <laughs> while on the drugs. So it's when you said it made money in this, the end of 69, I was like, that makes sense. That's about, yeah, that's that about right. Well, and crazy enough, like Disney leaned into that when it had its uh, release in 69, all of the promotional materials had a psychedelic styling of to it. It didn't did. have the, the typical Sorcerer's <laughs> Mickey. So they really leaned into it so much so that one of the lead animators, one of the nine old men, Ollie Johnston, he said once that um, he recalled to a group of young people that they all thought we were on a trip when we made it. <laughs> and every time we'd go to talk to a school or something, they would ask us, hey, what were you on when you made Fantasia? <laughs> I wonder if they actually told them, like, yes, we were literally on 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 drugs when we made this thing. I mean, I would be surprised if they I mean, it's the the late 30s, early 40s. I don't know how prevalent all of those things yeah, were. Exactly. then. I'm sure somewhat, but oh, goodness. not like it was in the 60s. No, not at all. Uh, so we talked about some of the reasons that they made this was um, notoriety and um, that and to push the envelope. But one of the other reasons that they specifically did uh, this music was because uh, Walt had basically realized that Mickey's popularity was starting to wane. He was not as popular as he mm -hmm. used to be. Um, even Donald Duck and other characters had like kind of superseded him. And of course, all these bigger feature films. Um kind of left him in the dust. And so one of the, uh, I don't know, Eddie, if you wanted to kind of take us through what the reason why they did this series, and it actually started with the one that, with the one song of all of these that Mickey's actually inside of. Yeah, so the development on this was started with, um, with the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And the idea was, you know, one of the things that we we haven't touched here, we haven't gone over, we've mentioned them is the silly symphonies. Those were a really big thing for Disney. So the the whole idea of setting uh, classical music to Disney animation is not new to Fantasia. They had done it in several of these silly symphonies, and they wanted to Disney Walt Disney wanted to create a new silly symphony, but this time featuring Mickey like we hadn't seen him before. And so they began to work on the Sorcerer's Apprentice. But Walt being Walt doesn't think about the money. He's just throwing everything into this. And in this one short, he just blows the budget. And his brother Roy, who's in charge of actually making this a profitable business, is like, we can't release this as a short. We'll never recoup the money that we've already invested in this. We've got to do something. We've got to, you know, build this out a little bit. Walt has been having these different meetings with different like 
influential people in the music world. Um, they've put uh, Tchaikovsky under contract, and so they want to be able to do something bigger with him. And so these things just kind of start to merge and come together. And Disney's original idea is that Fantasia would be like an ongoing like concert Disney concert experience. Yeah. Right. That he wanted this to be something where like a new edition would be released every time, yeah. few years. And you would substitute some of the original segments, maybe keep in a few of the more popular ones like Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, but that's how we we got this is because Walt is like, I want to do something just kind of like to raise Mickey to a whole new level, thinks it's going to be a short, spends way too much money on it. His brother's like, no, we've got to recoup this money somehow. Let's turn it into a feature film. But, oh, wait, they actually don't recoup the money on it Mm. until, what, three years after Walt's passing? Yeah. The... uh it's it's so funny to see how it just like ballooned up like very quickly into what it became from just this idea to just do a better silly song with just like a little bit a little bit better. Um, another piece of that was they wanted to f- physically change Mickey's appearance for this. So if I put it in our show notes and I could probably post it in in the show notes for the episode, but if you kind of look at the older Mickey's. Uh, you don't get very much with the eyes like they're very solid black for other than the very first year on it. Um, and this was mm-hmm. a big the big change in 1940 is when he really became more of what we're used to. What they what they called it was a cuter Mickey. They wanted a little bit more of a cuter Mickey. And you get that more of the white in the eyes that is more prevalent in 1928. But uh, they had kind of departed from that for several years. And so this was kind of a, a new version of that. So this is a brand new Mickey that that people are experiencing when they're seeing Fantasia. And it looks like who we are, t- what we know today. But that's another thing we've seen in some of these older films is some iconic song moment uh, scene from some of these earlier pictures. And we get another one here where he's wearing the magic cap like that's a prevalent like iconic now it, it eddie eddie's if you want to watch on youtube you can see eddie's holding up the fantasia mickey talk a little bit about fantasia mickey eddie and, and what it what it's gone on beyond this 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 movie well like you think the um the roy e disney animation building at the burbank lot has the Sorcerer's Apprentice hat sitting on top of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And reportedly like Fantasia uh, was one of, or if not the favorite uh, animated film of Roy E. Disney. That's why he in the nineties spearheaded the revival and ultimately what we saw in Fantasia. And was he the nephew or Um, I forget, or the. Yes. So his dad was Roy Disney. Right. And he is Roy E. Disney. Um, so, yeah, he's the nephew. Yeah, I mean, he was the one that behind the scenes was pulling a lot of the strings in the 80s and 90s and 2000s to kind of give us um, um, a lot of the classic Disney of that era that we know. But The Sorcerer's Apprentice is is one of is is probably the second most associated um, 
styling of Disney. Like, I mean, of course, now like Steamboat Willie has really rose into the to the top position. Um, but you're just but talking about Mickey Shorts. Apprentice you're talking is, about like the Mickey Shorts kind of stuff. No, I'm talking about like it, when we see uh, Mickey represented yes. or like yeah, what, what we mean. come to know as as Mickey Mouse. You think of as sorcerer his, his the the red cape and the 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 sorcerer's hat. Yep. Um, for a while, there was a giant sorcerer's hat in the middle of Disney's Hollywood Studios uh, at Walt Disney World. That became like the icon of that park. In that park and at Disneyland, you have one of the best nighttime shows Disney's ever put on, which is Fantasmic. And you've got the fan, the the Sorcerer's Apprentice, like the Fantasia Mickey represented there. Like you have a, a whole kind of Fantasia sequence represented in that show. Um, and that even there at Hollywood Studios, you meet Mickey Mouse dressed as the sorcerer's apprentice he's in the red robe and the and the sorcerer's hat uh i don't know where else that you could meet mickey you know like that but it's kind of one of those those classic looks of mickey and is represented you know in in multiple different ways in the parks in other ways uh uh, on merchandising and everything and similar to jiminy cricket and when you wish upon a star uh it has definitely surpassed the original where uh, lived i bet you yeah so many more people know that moment and that scene and probably have never even seen the full movie of fantasia especially the or the original one because that moment has just surpassed it um and it's funny because he's kind of overwhelmed at the moment <laughs> like it's the whole scene is him just underwater literally uh but it is such a yeah. happy-go-lucky moment that is used kind of all throughout the parks and and in different iconic areas and it looks like a fun oh this is great and you have no idea that he's like literally drowning at that, like in those moments and yeah I'm, I'm glad that they brought it back for the the fantasia 2000 um film i remember when that was released and i think we talked about it in that episode when we reviewed it i remember going and seeing it on the imax you know and seeing that whole sequence up on the IMAX screen is it's it's quite something. It's 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 a great sequence. Even rewatching it this time around, I mean, it's it's a bold move to make Mickey Mouse stand directing the universe. You know, yeah. like that's a that's a very um, bold statement that you're making there. Um, but it is nonetheless global very domination. Is that is that what you're feeling? Global domination. <laughs> Maybe there's a little like. Corporate overlords coming for you. <laughs> That's what I think of every time I think of Disney. Corporate overlords. <laughs> so this, so actually the movie itself, let's talk about that for a second. Your experience, I mean, did you have a lot of nostalgia coming back to this? We personally rarely ever watch this. I think I probably watched it two times total in my life growing up, one of which was at a, a babysitter's house. Uh, who just needed something to put on to keep us hooligans like in line? Uh, did uh, what and was another you- time was with me? Probably, I'm sure. I'm sure that probably happened. No, we watched it in first grade. Like one of my first memories of this is Mrs. Saunders putting this on as like Ooh. music education in our first grade class. 
It was so impactful. I don't remember that. <laughs> or don't remember that. <laughs> but you, Eddie, Eddie, what did you think uh, rewatching this? Uh, did you enjoy it? Because it is a very different, like, just take it all in experience. Don't try to think too hard. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, when you've kind of got more of an anthology style of a film, you definitely are going to have some sequences that are stronger than others. Uh, I think it's like without question, the Sorcerer's Apprentice is the strongest one in all of these. Um, not just because it's Mickey Mouse and it's iconic and everything, but it's uh, it's it's got a very strong story too, right? Like you've got distinct characters, you've got a, a good drama that is is playing out there, and and it's very interesting and and compelling. I think the other one that I I like a lot is Night on Bald Mountain and Ave Maria. Uh, I think that would be another one that kind of has stayed iconic that um, uh, what would you say the I mean, is that a, a Dracula or the monster? What I mean, no, what would. <laughs> yeah, what is the, the, the like winged beast? The devil Chernabog. The devil. Sh- sure. Chernabog. Is um, the like the, uh, there we go. Chernabog. He has become iconic in many ways, like going back to Fantasmic, that show, you see him in the poster, in the artwork, um, because he's featured in that show. Um, so I would say like that, that would be like a, a, my second favorite sequence in, in all of this. I think that one holds up really well. I think when we start to look at all of the other sequences is when we really see what everybody in the 60s was talking about with them <laughs> maybe being on an acid trip while they're animating this. I was, uh, I had forgotten how long. I'm, I'm looking at you, the pastoral symphony. Yeah. <laughs> the Rite of Spring with just the history of the earth felt like it took up half the movie. It was like a really long sequence to get through all of the it took its time i'm like i know dinosaurs are coming at some point and it's just like paramecium like growing together and stuff like that it's 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 a it's a long sequence it's a a long time that's spent there yeah yes uh and then the pastoral symphony is the one where like Sarah looks over at me and goes, should Lewis be watching this right now? (laughs) She's like, there's, there's, there's naked, there's naked uh, people on the screen, you know? And I was like, I think it's okay. I I think they're eunuchs. (laughs) You know, like, I think we're not sure what's going on. Oh, good. There was a little bit of, uh, of, uh, I think some censorship that they had to, had to go around at the time. And like, I think the fawns initially didn't have anything covering them and then they had to cover them or something. If I remember correctly, yeah, they, so the, they, they the, got away with the chair. The quote that I love, yeah. the quote that I love is Ward Kimball, uh, who is the animator on this. And I think we've referenced him before. Uh, he said we were extremely specific on touchy issues. Uh, and I think that was mainly referred to when they first animated this, the female senators were originally drawn bare breasted, but the motion picture production code felt that that was, um, 
insensitive. So they discreetly hung garlands around their neck, which was wonderful. But this is also the sequence that we get the the warning. If you are to watch Fantasia on Disney+, Plus, they have a cultural sensitivity warning at the beginning of it, and it is for this sequence, which is interesting that they leave the warning in there, but they have an edited version of Fantasia where you don't see the 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 racially insensitive segments. They've they've panned and zoomed where you don't see uh, um, what in, in essence are African American senators like being slaves. Um, Whoa, which is like I okay, that that's interesting that you you want to you well it's edited out like you don't see it in this. Oh, I didn't know about that. Um, okay. So yeah, I, I I just found it interesting that they left the the warning on the front, but they they present you with the edited version, so you don't see what they're warning you about. Yeah. Does that make sense? Am I making sense in that? I thought it was just because they had naked babies. But yeah, in the in the original, <laughs> no, no, no. It was actually like yeah, like this is pretty racially insensitive to show you know African slaves, but as senators, you know that. Um, so weird. especially in the forties, like where, where was that? Um, uh, okay. But we, um, we need yeah, to revive it's edited out now. We need to revive our old segment of how would they change this in 2023? And that for sure would be, yeah. would be one of them. It is funny that they were like, Oh, the fawns, which are not real human creatures, those we will cover up, but the baby, the fly, the flying cherubim, those can stay naked. Yeah. And be kind of yeah. awkwardly positioned. Oh, that's fine. But like the fawns, which are not are inhuman, like not human creatures, need to cover that up. But I'm just like, okay, that makes yeah. total sense. But of the times, that's another thing we keep on saying. Of the times, what they were so, thinking, what they were, what they were feeling. So a question just for you, JB, about that whole segment, the the ending there, the the grapes. Are they making grape juice or are they making wine? I, I don't know that I care either way. <laughs> I'm sorry. It should be wine, probably. If you're going to watch the keep on watching this film, <laughs> it would be better if you were having that. That was a reference to our childhood that it will click in your brain uh, about 10 minutes after we're done recording. Uh, oh, why I asked that question. Oh, I'm sure. Um, in Dance of the Hours, um, the animators really struggled with this one because uh, as the animator John Hench, who's a really well-known animator, he's the one responsible for the design of Disneyland. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, well, I'm sure it'll come back up when we when we review the Disneyland story. But John Hench was assigned to work on this segment, but he resisted because he said, listen, Walt, I know nothing about ballet. There's no way I can animate a sequence about ballet. So what did Disney do? He gave Hench season tickets to the ballet and got him backstage access so he could learn all about ballet. (laughs) Whoa, that's dedication. (laughs) Yeah, I love it that it's, um, oh, you want to complain about knowing about this? I'll make sure you know everything there is to know about this. Uh, from that sequence, there's several different animals that they use there. Some of those designs, I believe, of the hippos, 
they actually use then in the next feature that we're going to cover next next week, which is Dumbo. So they kind of were able to double dip for a second here and use some of the same designs because uh, they usually bring in animals to like to model um, the the animals after. And so they were able to double dip here by using this in um, the next film, which is Dumbo. Is this I, I was thinking about this as I was watching it. Is this a animated documentary? Think about that for a second. Like to a certain degree, like an, a documentary is, you know, telling, you know, or informing on something. Um, you can't really do that with animation because you're, you, you know, usually documentaries capturing something. You can use animation in a documentary, but to a certain degree, like that is what fan is trying to do because you're not telling a complete story like there's no way we can call this a story and there's with the interludes and everything there's a lot of like information like if not a documentary it's uh, a fi- uh, 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 classical music education I would not do you see what I'm saying like I'm, I'm trying to grasp uh, and you're how do you categor- categorize this like what do category. you call this well I definitely would not go with documentary because even documentaries have some sort of a singular storyline that they're trying to get across. <laughs> I'm currently working on one right now, so sure. I would push back against the idea that it's a documentary. Um, I would say yes. In, uh, I mean, it's supposed to be like you're going to the to an orchestra. You're going to go experience a bunch of different musical pieces. I'm. I don't go that often. I've probably gone maybe four times in my life. And most of those were when we were a lot younger and they just shoved us in a bus and drove us and we showed up there. Uh, one in college. Um, I, I mean, it's basically was that, but you actually had something to watch. So I guess that and some some interludes in between. Uh, it really is the like you're at the theater he opens it up when he says there's three types of song there's two types of, of music here and one is it's got a definite story one it's got definite pictures and one it's just music of the third kind it just exists and that's really that synopsis synopsize the this this experience of just sit back and take it <laughs> was kind of how I yeah. how I took it like to say it has any sort of story would just be uh, would be wrong because it doesn't. It's just an experience. It's just, let's just listen to some good music. But I still think at the end of the day, like it is, I don't know, maybe I'm coming at this a little bit different because I, I do enjoy classical music a lot. Um, I'm married to a classical musical like nerd. Oh, yeah, what was her take? Um, I think she, she loves this. Like this is, I mean, she's seen this so many times. Um, I mean, she played in a, in a symphony for, uh, for yeah. 11 years. So, uh, and she would still be if we, you know, hadn't moved away. Um, so yeah, like she absolutely loves this. Like she can be in the other room. Like she was in the other room listening as we, me and the kids were watching it. And she's like yelling out the pieces of music. Oh yeah, that's, you know, and she can name the name composer, all of it. Um, not, you know, hearing it announced. Um, that's just kind of her level of, of knowledge on it all. Um, yeah. And she loves it. Like 
Uh, this is not the first time our kids have seen this. They've seen Fantasia 2000 yeah. more, um, but uh, in part because like that's something, you know, we value and we, you know, um, because of my wife's love for it, um, you know, have put it in front of our kids. And I think this is one of the things that this does well is that it does serve as a great way to like introduce kids in particular point. to classical music. Um, because, yeah, it can be hard if you're not used to it to like, just sit and listen to music. Yeah. Um, and so it does help to have those visuals alongside of it. Um, and if you're learning what is classical music and and what is, you know, so amazing and, and wonderfully intricate about it, having those visuals does help and assist in all of that. It's definitely a, like you said, a training. Like if you've never, ha- if you don't regularly do this, it, it is a, it is an odd experience. I remember being in college and someone dragging, like to bringing me to all, like I had had no experience doing it like myself in a long time. Then all of a sudden I was like, just like sat down in the middle of the theater to listen. And I was given no kind of prompts, no nothing, no, like I had, <laughs> I had a, I had a pamphlet in my hand and I saw, I was like looking around at other, other people like, are you, Am I supposed to do something here? Am I going to get some training or some knowledge of what's happening? And it, it is a it is a skill that I have had so little experience with. So I don't want to I don't want to bash this experience because I'm all of these songs like you've heard and they're beautiful. Uh, it's just it's just really hard to jump deep dive into the into the the deep end of the pool, even though that they're trying to help you along. Um, so for me, every time I've, I've, I've felt almost like I've had to watch it. Um, it's just been a struggle for me to fully engage with it. Um, and I may have been doing other things while this was on. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Sarah, (laughs) to burst your bubble, but I did not just fully experience. I did. I will say that the most engaged I was at the very beginning, because I was trying to figure out how they lit all of those, like, uh, all of those things I tried to do some research and couldn't totally figure it out how much of it was hand-drawn versus um, practical. It looks all practical where it's like the it's, it's backlighting up these, the shadows of the musicians up on the screen, which was super fascinating. I was like, how did they do all of this? I was going to ask you that. That is, yeah. Um, I've had the exact same reaction as I watched it. All. I was like, this is really cool. How do they do this? Especially when they're getting, the three tones, like yep. the three different uh, colors mm-hmm. of the same thing up on there. I'm like, there's no way they're doing that live. Like that has to be animated and post or, you know, some, and some of it. Yeah. Some of it could be some like, trickery. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some mad exposure that they can do. I think I saw somewhere that they had like at some point, 15 different ex- exposures that they were working with, which doesn't make sense to me how you can do all of that. Uh, but that was a really interesting way to start it off to kind of grab your attention in a very simple way of just colors, shadows, silhouettes. Um, that was yeah. really, really masterful. And I think there's plenty of moments throughout here. Uh, my wife even called it out. Uh, she was like, to see where they went in such a short time from Steamboat Willie to this is a massive yeah. jump in just creativity, yeah. ability, skill. Uh, we saw it with Snow White. Well, where that they, synchronization yeah. of sound. Yep. You know, we made a we made a really big point of how Steamboat Willie was a, a, a 
a leap in, in technology when it came to the synchronization of sound. Here, you just see them just playing with that. Like, it's just like easy. Um, you have the whole, um, I kind of laughed at it. I forgot, honestly, that the whole segment in there about where he introduced somebody that he found at the studio lot. Oh, come on out. This is my friend soundtrack. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> and then it's kind of interesting, like the visualization of sound. Um, you know, that was not like as common or as prolific as it is today. Like today we see some type of sound visualization on on our on our music streaming You're app, about you the know, wavelength. Spotify, Apple Music. They, yeah, like the wavelength, like that. The our understanding that sound creates different wavelengths Waves, yep. is it is more is well now, known yeah. today, and we see uh, yeah we see a lot of visualizations. And the forties, that's actually something quite remarkable and revolutionary to be able to see that and go, oh okay, yeah yeah. Um, so even kind of a moment like that is cool, but also a testament to how far they had come in the synchronization of sound. Any other final thoughts you have, Eddie, before we rate this, rate this film? I have a question for you. Uh, Uh and this is a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a concerning question. It is, it is one that has, I mean, yeah, you should be worried. It's, it's had, as I told you, um, you know, I was I, I was awoken in the middle of the night uh, <laughs> and, and in part dis- disturbed by this question. After watching The Sorcerer's Apprentice again, is Mickey Mouse an axe murderer? <laughs> is that what woke you up in the middle of the night? <laughs> well, he's not an axe murderer. He's a broom murderer. With an axe. I didn't say that. No. And, uh, yeah. I mean, well, that's the definition of an axe murderer is that that you kill people with an axe. Yeah. Or you kill with an axe. <laughs> and there's a whole sequence with Mickey Mouse, the beloved mouse, murdering a broom with a mat with innocent, an axe. An Just innocent like, broom that was doing nothing but its job it had been given to do. <laughs> He annihilates it. And and you know it's murder. You know it's gruesome because they can't show it to you. It's got to be a little off stage. We only just see like the Snow shadows. White, just it. like Snow White. Just the, the, yes. the hand yes. coming out. I'm sorry, but like. Is this the worst? Is this the most Mouse gruesome? is an axe murderer. Is this the most gruesome thing he has ever done on camera? We'll has find he ever out. Done That's any- why we're embarking on this journey. I mean, it was it was pretty intense, like just going to town, destroying property. <laughs> I was not ready. I'm for telling that you, I, I I can't think of any other way to to spin this. But uh, is I'm, it going to affect your rating? Mickey, Mickey Mouse is an axe murder. Everybody like just watch Sorcerer's Apprentice. Is it going to affect your rating? Are you going to you're going to ding it? For being in it for an axe murderer, <laughs> I'm I'm first up this time, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> I this this is a really hard rating because I I I think I want to give it. Remember, more Sarah is listening right now. Then I Sarah is I know listening I know. to our episode right now. I can see her reflection in the mirror. She's going to be very um, upset with you. I oh, this is so hard. This this is probably my hardest rating so far, to be honest. This with is you. your rating, Eddie. This is not um, Sarah's rating. 
she will still love you. Maybe. <laughs> okay, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Can I cheat just a little bit? Can we pull Sorcerer's Apprentice out? You can, This is our podcast setting. <laughs> we can do what we want. So I would say like Sorcerer's Apprentice is essential. Like it is like that sequence is essential. It's a five. Uh, I love the storytelling. It's so straightforward, but so amazing. Uh, you know, I, 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 um, I love the presentation of it. There's a reason why it has stood up to be kind of one of the iconic Mickey moments that is represented and True. is repeated in Fantasia 2000. But I would say for the rest of Fantasia, easy, I would go with just entertaining. It's just a three. I think you dodged. I think you dodged it. I think you're okay. We're still going to put three. <laughs> enter. We're going to still put three on the website. Maybe we'll put a little. We ask. have to. We'll put that, a little, overall, I would put the film. At about I put a the three. whole film at, at entertaining. I yeah. am going to gently say thank you for your consideration. Now it's time to go back in the vault. I just, <gasps> Whoa. just don't. I just don't. I'm sorry. I just don't have much of a desire to uh, to revisit this. And the only reason I did was for content for this this podcast <laughs> i'm just like you know what there might be a future version of myself when i'm retired that really wants to get into uh this type of music <laughs> and this type of experience and this is probably a good gateway for that or if i'm on my last on my deathbed and on some heavy medication then maybe then as well that would be a good time heavy to medication. do it uh, or maybe if I have more teeth pulled or something, maybe that would be a good idea. But I'm going to, it's not, a, it's not a slam it. I'm not, it's not throwing it. I'm just like gently, okay, now it's time to go back to the vault. I'm going to give this a one. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Sarah. So there you have it. We, we have a three, an entertaining, and a gentle one. Let's just gentle nudge. slide you back into the vault. Well, there you go. Now that we've filled you up on nostalgia. We've got a little bit of Disney news. Uh, first, starting with the fact that Elemental keeps on popping up. We just can't quit it right now, and it has now. Eddie, tell us how much it's how much is it made now, and it's beat out some other big movies. Oh, I can't remember the the total. Um, but it's beat out Toy Story and Cars, the originals of those. Yes. Um, so the box office has now passed. I mean, it's close to five hundred million dollars in its total theatrical run, which is more than what we saw in both Toy Story and in the wow. original Cars movie. And I, I think you know, this is the lesson that we've even you know learned with Fantasia, right? Like. <laughs> just leave it in the just theater long enough and just uh, it'll watching. <laughs> and it'll it'll eventually earn its its money back um but yeah like this is amazing like how much that this has um uh, just kept on going and, and all yeah just the original thoughts of it just being like oh this was a bomb you know i think is hopefully cautions everybody of like yeah, I don't think a movie needs to be judged just off of its opening night. Yep. Like, especially an animated film, something that is a little more broad for the whole family. I think it's going to take 
um, you know, sometimes a little bit longer for all of that. So yeah, Cars 2006 made 462 um, million dollars. 1995's Toy Story made 395 million dollars at the box office. And so now we are sitting here with Elemental having made $469 million. Um, yeah, which again, just shows just leave it in long enough and it, it'll eventually keep on keep on trucking. I hope no one lost their job. I wonder if they delay. I hope no one lost their job before right. it started to turn around a little bit. That would be really unfortunate if they're like, hey, Bob, we got to we got to someone's the the fall guy here. It's got to be you. So sorry. Two months later, like, hey, maybe Bob wasn't so bad off after all. Uh, it is unusual, though. Like th- most movies make the majority of their money, like the huge chunk of their money opening weekend. It did. It's not it's not to say that there that's not there's not a reason there's this is what people look at is opening weekend is the best you're going to do. You're going to see a big dive and then it's just trying to hold on to something that you can like there's a reason there's just a precedent for that. This is unprecedented yeah. what it did. It not that no movies done this but very few movies have been able to have the shelf life in theaters for this long and it also points to the fact of why they're keeping them in theaters longer to get as much as money as they can then go through all of the um digital releases well it's out on digital release now and we're still waiting for a release date for this when is it going to come to disney plus my kids are dying just my son he still wants to rewatch it again and has just been like hey when's the fire movie when's the fire movie coming out and i wonder if they hold it i wonder you know i honestly i think it would be a smart move on disney to hold this for a while like um you know here at the beginning of september we had the release of the little mermaid live action came mm-hmm. out on Disney plus. Like, yep. so, so they've got something, I think it'd be really smart of them to hold this until at least mid October, you know, or beginning of November when you've got, um, uh, uh wish, you know, coming out something or even longer, like make this like a, 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 a December, like a Christmas release, you know, they kind of like having some new things put out on the platform right before then. I mean, my question to you, does this save the Pixar movie going experience? This is something we, you and I have brought up a lot. Like they kind of shot Pixar in the face when it comes to going and seeing them at the theaters. Does this fix that? It seems to me that this was a really big, if they were talking about just like shooting at that goal of trying to get people that like, this is why you have to go to theaters to see a Pixar movie again. This felt like them like throwing on the brakes and punching it into reverse. Like, no, we're going back to the way it was in a big way, which I don't fault them for it. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the leaders of the, of the, please bring Disney movie depicts our movies back to the theaters. I was in the front of that bandwagon leading the charge. Uh, but it's just funny. Now I'm like, well, my kids want to see it and I don't want to take them back to the theater. So it's like, a, it's a different thing. I was like, I want it in theaters, but I want you to then come out so I can show them it again and not have to take it. I should have taken them the $4 movie weekend last weekend. But um, anyways, the, yeah, no, I think, I think, I think you're right. I think this is one way that they're doing that of just like, 
we're going to force everybody back to go to theaters because we need you and we need the theater money. Yeah. And I would say Elemental is at least uh, visually beautiful enough. Like yeah. it does warrant a, a, vi- uh, a viewing on the big screen. I, I enjoyed it. I'm really glad I saw it on the big screen. I will, if they ever release Luca on the big screen, I'm running back. Literally. Disney, you can have my money now. Just re-re, I want to see Luca. That, of all the ones that came out on on Disney Plus and didn't get the theatrical release, Luca's the one where I'm like, oh, I wish I could have seen that uh, on the big screen. So, I don't know if I'll ever get that, but here we are. I'll tell you one thing we are getting, and um, I think somebody in your family is going to be quite excited about this. Uh, Disneyland's Haunted Mansion is getting an expansion. I don't know. Have you guys heard about this, JV? You sent it to me and it immediately forwarded it to my wife, but let us, and she gave an audible. <gasps> so I need, I need a, I need give our listeners the update, Eddie. So, I mean, it's no shock, like, Haunted Mansion is one of, if not the most beloved ride in Disney parks. Um, I think, like, maybe Pirates is the only one that can can Rival come up it, to yeah. the same level of just original, you know, um, rides that have come out. And uh, something that Disney World has always had that Disneyland has not had is a gift shop. If we know anything about Disney, they're not going to waste any opportunity (laughs) to make some money off of people and empty out into a gift shop. And so while Disney World, they've got uh, um, Memento Mori is the name of the shop there um, where you can go and get all of your Haunted Mansion merchandise. Disneyland's not had that. So and Disneyland's queue has often, you know, gets overrun. It's not big enough. So the expansion that's happening is they're going to extend an outdoor queue use utilizing the grounds of the mansion a little bit and then uh, building out a, a gift shop, a merchandising location and kind of just refreshing the whole area. Because remember, at the end of next year, we are going to get Tiana's Bayou Adventure, which is going to really expand the whole New Orleans yeah. section of Disneyland. Um, and you're going to have a really, really strong just kind of New Orleans square uh, with Haunted Mansion and Tiana's Bayou Adventure kind of anchoring both ends of that. Yeah. So, yes, they're going to make some money off of the gift shop. They uh, also are just kind of preparing for that new uh, attraction to come online there. My wife was very excited and it's already like we need to rethink about our future plans (laughs) for when we're going to go back to (laughs) Disneyland. They definitely have needed more um, queue space. Uh, Right now you kind of go through the, uh, the graveyard a lot, but even that overruns pretty quickly. Um, and they kind of have just been running them up the back sidewalk a little a little bit. So this would be fun. They can make it a little bit more of an immersive experience uh, for the queue, which I think is great. And yeah, just silly not to have like a like uh, to have a place where you're like this is where I go if I want to get my haunted mansion swag. Like every place else, if yep. you've got a major ride, uh, like that was the place where if you want, like even uh, Tower of Terror. 
uh, before they rebranded it. That was the place to get anything terror, ter- Tower of Terror related. Um, so we would always hit that up at some point to see if there was something cool to get. Um, so this is well, well overdue for them to make this. I don't know what was pushing them to do it now, uh, but good on them for making that choice. And, and I, so it's 2024, I believe, is when it will be available, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think what's really pushing them is, again, the retheming of Splash Mountain into Tiana's yeah. Bayou Adventure and just kind of the overall Having all overhaul of... That of that whole area. So it kind of pushes that forward. Um, there was the new restaurant. I can't remember what it was called before, but uh, it's now Tiana's palace has opened up there in New Orleans okay. square. One of like the f- French market. Does that sound yeah, that familiar? Right. There was a restaurant over in there. Yep. Um, that has been totally redone and turned into uh, Tiana's Gotta palace. Get that IP that in there, Eddie. Opened. More IP. Yep. Yep. They've got to push it in, push it in, which in Disneyland, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like you've already, it's right there on New Orleans Square, which is maybe my favorite, second favorite part of of Disneyland. I love, love New Orleans Square. Um, I'm also a big Adventureland geek, but um, I mean, you got pirates and haunted mansion in the same spot. So you can't, it's hard to go wrong with that. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard. Oh yeah. Pirates is in the middle, right? I don't know Disneyland is on the as well. End. So it's got- like it's you you hit pirates first, then you okay. get to the French market and kind of the back alleyway down there, and then you have a little bit of a of a blank space, which is the seating area, um, and then you get to Haunted Mansion after that. Yes, yeah, so this will be a really even stronger section yes. of the whole park. I mean, it'll be um, really really filled out. So. That'll be really cool. Not that there was anything wrong um, with Walt's vision. Not that there was anything wrong with Walt's vision. <laughs> well, he never saw the haunted mansion, sadly. But yeah, he did project the vision. Wonder how my wife feels right now. I want to ask her. I'm I'm waiting for. I'm going to wait for the text from her of like how she feels that her favorite ride was a ride that Walt never designed or saw. I'm just gonna. I'm he gonna, designed. He was a part of like. He had the original idea. He just didn't live to to see it come to, to see full it all the way through. But I'm just saying, exactly. like yeah. like of the original park, it wasn't it wasn't a part of the part of the original park. So it's gonna dig that I in know. and wait wait to get that text message here in a little. You're bit. you're cruel. You're cruel. <laughs> in a couple weeks. How I'm, dare you? I'm gonna forget this because we're batching this <laughs> early. <laughs> Anyways, before we go. Um, uh, JB, I, I do hope you you have a good week, especially after those comments. I think your week is going to be a lot rougher. Yeah, it might be. I don't know how much more rough it can be when you've got a little baby that's starting to teeth and getting the the teeth Ooh. breaking through on the bottom. She's been no. such a happy baby, all over the moon about everything, giggling all the time. And this has brought out the Hulk baby out of nowhere, just like hating life and just slobbering and gushing all over the place it's i forgot about this stage uh i don't i i feel like it was probably as bad with most of our with the other two kids as well but we're we're here right now just life staging it with 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 a new thing we've gone through a couple of different uh teething items and tried different things that look like spaceships and other things just trying to make her feel a little bit better but let's just hope that 
a little baby has a better week next week than she's had or this week than she had last week. That's for sure. We are hoping right there along with you. Uh, And with that, everybody, you've now got your weekly dose of Disney nostalgia. Be sure to subscribe to Honey, We Made a Disney Podcast wherever you listen to your other favorite podcasts. And you can go on YouTube as well and give us a look there as well. While you're there, please like or leave a five-star review and share it with your best friend. You can also check us out at honeywemade.com where you can see all of our nostalgic reviews of Disney movies from the very beginning of time, 1930, the 1928, (laughs) all the way through 1988, and see all of our original uh, reviews from 1988 to 2005, which was our childhood where we began this podcast. And be sure to tune in next week as we review Dumbo. Thank you for listening. And remember, no dialogue, no sound bites.